You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Today's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, church. Let's pray. Thank you that all scripture is useful for training us and correcting us and making us righteous. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us live this passage in our lives for your praise and glory. Amen. Well, as you were growing up, what was your picture of greatness? I was in year 10. It was in 1999. Please don't do the maths. And we had an excursion in the city. So we caught the tram in and we went to this auditorium and there was other schools there. And it felt like a bit like a church service. There was upbeat music, there was lights, a motivational speaker came on stage and he told all these stories and we listened because he was kind of famous. He was an AFL player. And there was a lot of emotion. Some girls in the class got teary as he spoke. And I didn't think of much of it at the time, but the whole takeaway message was, be great, find your authentic self, as long as you're not hurting anybody. So you communicated the idea of looking within ourselves to discover our true identity. And whatever we dream of, go after that and be nice to people along the way. In my early adulthood, I then saw movies like the pursuit of happiness. You know, Will Smith, the guy that slaps people? 
Well, this movie communicated the greatness is found in financial success. Freedom from rags to riches. And then there was classic TV shows like Friends. You know, the famous song, I'll Be There For You, that the greatness in life is about relational greatness. It's about finding your true love with all the dramas between Ross and Rachel and having awesome, loyal friends alongside you for the journey. Big Bang Theory has the same idea. And then there was movies that greatness was about escaping the grind and finding true experiences, whether travel in Eat, Pray, Love, or Leonardo DiCaprio's The Beach. Now, 23 years later, this is still what our society says about greatness. In fact, I think society's message has even changed to say that find your authentic self at all costs. We don't even have to worry about letting others get in the way of our true experience. Now on Netflix, we can pick and choose our own adventure of discovering our own identity, whether it's in love and relationships, whether it's sexual discovery, whether it's financial freedom what our world says about true greatness. See, these searches for greatness, while all different, they all have a common theme of looking within. It puts us at the center of the world and everyone else is a means to our end of pursuing our authentic self. See, looking within isn't all bad. Blind conformity is never good. Ask someone in North Korea. As Christians, we should examine our hearts and our lives. We do this each week as we confess our sins. Jesus actually speaks about this later in our passage. But the question is, has our quest for greatness worked? Brian Rosner, a theologian from Ridley, Melbourne, has just released a book called How to Find Yourself, Looking Within is Not the Answer. As his title suggests, he says a resounding no. This looking in to find ourselves rejecting any form of authority and everyone celebrating their authentic self, this pursuit for happiness has actually failed to deliver the very thing, happiness. It's failed us as individuals, as a community. We don't know how to handle suffering when things go wrong. We don't have a framework as we, we did in the past. Our latest census data has come out, and as Australia has increasingly rejected faith in Jesus for this pursuit of an authentic self, at the same time, anxiety, depression, chronic loneliness, domestic violence have all been sharply on the rise. In this census, happiness is the lowest it's ever been. In our passage today in Matthew 18, as we begin a new series called Jesus and Relationships, this pursuit of personal greatness is nothing new. Look to verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus' 12 disciples were slowly seeing that he might be the true Messiah. So they're all coming around him saying who would get some of his greatness. So they're jockeying for positions of power, a bit like what UK politicians are doing 
right now, but how does Jesus respond? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them, and he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus does here is completely controversial. See, in ancient Eastern culture, children were seen as only half human until puberty, tragically until they were available sexual partners. Children couldn't do things in that society that was highly valued, like fight, offer wisdom, contribute money. As we've more recently seen in the China's one-child policy, girls would suffer the most. Newborn girls would often be thrown away, discarded like a piece of rubbish, left to die. At best, girls would be sold into prostitution because they were too expensive to raise. In our culture, here in Australia, children have high value. As I think about my daughter, Hannah, she goes to childcare multiple days a week and she eats things like deconstructed euros and she enjoys fun activities. All she does is eat, sleep and play with her friends. It's a bit like a luxury resort. Sometimes I feel like checking myself in. But the reality is she's completely dependent on the adults for survival. Without the educators always being there, she'll be left soiled, cold, overtired, hungry, in danger of hurting herself. See, a child can't even keep themselves alive, let alone determine their own authentic self. And Jesus presenting this insignificant child says something about his upside down kingdom and it means us adults need to change to become just like these children see in god's kingdom it's not controlled by the loudest or the smartest or the most powerful in our world's eyes instead of independence kingdom greatness means dependence on god instead of self-reliance Trusting. Instead of always being successful and strong, being vulnerable. Instead of knowing everything, having the humility to learn. Instead of being suspicious, loving. So if you've seen a small child at the supermarket, in the lolly aisle, having a tantrum, you might raise your eyebrows right now about what Jesus is saying here. But when Jesus says like a child, he doesn't mean childish. Look to verse 4. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus' call to childlikeness is about our position. It's not about human development. See, this is not a free pass for adults to avoid our responsibilities or to have an unhealthy dependence on other people. Let's be honest, a lot of things about being an adult is hard. Managing a budget, filling up a car at 2.39 a litre, doing housework, balancing all the demands of work and family life and friends. Being an adult can be really hard. But with all the hard stuff, what do we do? We cling on to the attractive parts of being adults, don't we? The stuff that gives us power and comfort and security. I'll get back to this later. 
But if we're depending on God like a child, it means we have to hold loosely onto these things that our hearts desire because they have traps for us. And Jesus is asking us to willingly take this lowly position like a child. Well, this is completely nuts in our culture as it was for the first disciples. When Adele and I got married, we got enough money together to purchase a townhouse in St. Albans. And if you know Melbourne, St. Albans is a rough suburb. It's locally known as Stab Albans, and I've heard a gunshot twice while being at home. And I was doing ministry in that part of Melbourne in the western suburbs, and it was also close to our family, so it made sense for us to live there. But then Adele took her car in to get service one time and her old address was in the system. And the guy that was working there literally could not understand why Adele would willingly leave the comfort of a nice suburb and move into St. Albans. He said, everyone else is trying to get out of here. Why on earth would you want to come here? Maybe his idea of greatness was found in financial freedom. See, this idea of exchanging self-fulfillment for self-sacrifice goes against everything that we have been taught. But Jesus shows us the way. In Philippians chapter 2, it describes how he did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. For his father's greatness, he gave up all his entitlements and wealth of heaven, humbled himself to a man, even to a servant, even to the point of death on a cross for us. And now this very Jesus gives us a serious warning if we don't humble ourselves. Verse 6, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large milestone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This just escalated, right? First of all, I just want to make clear, Jesus does not condone murder or violence of any sort. He's using a really graphic, violent picture of drowning someone to communicate a violent reality. He's saying it's better to have a milestone, this like heavy agricultural tool, put around our necks. We're put in a boat taken to the deepest part of the ocean and pushed overboard. And he's saying that is a better outcome for us than if we cause one of the little ones to stumble. What's the whole problem here? Well, Jesus uses the phrase here, cause to stumble, and it describes causing somebody else to sin. Picture tripping somebody else up. And this is actually where the word scandal comes from. If we think of a scandal, we think it's something that's a bit juicy or intriguing, maybe involving some corrupt politicians. But Jesus' illustration here of causing someone else to stumble is so much more serious and waiting with devastating consequences for us. See, in verse 6, Jesus shifts from talking about little children to one of these little ones. He's now talking about causing anybody in our community to stumble, particularly vulnerable people who can't defend themselves. Think about the disabled, refugees, unemployed, 
those suffering serious mental or other illness. And Jesus clarifies here, one of the those who believe in me, he's specifically speaking to us, our church community, with a special focus of the vulnerable people I've mentioned, also including maybe people like new Christians, those who are at risk of being led astray. The point is that in God's kingdom, our spiritual life affects other people. And this goes directly against our individual pursuits of greatness, doesn't it? See, think about it. At a human level, if we're made in God's image, our lives and our identity cannot be determined on our own. If you've seen the movie, Isn't It Romantic? It's a comedy that mocks romantic comedies and the idea of greatness is found in finding true love. And the main actor, Revel Wilson, well, she gets hit on the head and gets trapped in a romantic comedy herself. And it makes fun of in, in romantic movies that there's always that best friend who's always waiting around doing nothing themselves, who can instantly meet up for brunch and discuss the latest relationship drama. It's not like they've got a job or anything else going on in their lives. See, the pursuit of greatness puts us at the center of the story, us as the main actor. But as Christians, we know that Jesus is the main actor. And in him, we actually share in other people's stories. It's not all about us. And if Hollywood can identify that it's not all about us, as Jesus warns about God's upside-down kingdom, He's saying that we have a collective responsibility for each other. See, the whole be your authentic self as long as you're not hurting anybody just doesn't work. Often our pursuits for authenticity actually can really hurt others. Even if we're not meaning to do it, like crossfire. See, not everything within us is authentically good. Remember in the strictest of lockdowns and we had curfew at 8pm, some still decided to throw these massive parties anyway, which turned out to be these super spreader events. As one writer says, the problem is with our inner selves that we're celebrating, it may be cruel, violent, narcissistic, dishonest, lazy or shallow. We actually need each other to know who we truly are and expose those ugly parts of us that aren't authentic and that aren't great. See, some things in the Bible makes really clear that are stumbling blocks for all of us. Things like greed, gossip, adultery, getting drunk, the list goes on. But then other things the Bible does not make clear is sin. And we have a freedom in these things to listen to our conscience. And so the Holy Spirit gives us different convictions on these things. So for these matters, some things might be okay for you, but might be a stumbling block for other people, vice versa. There was a time when a lot of my friends were getting into serious relationships and I was still single. So on a Friday and a Saturday, I'll text them saying, are you afraid you want to hang out? And increasingly, I got, I'm busy. By the way, don't be that friend. (laughs) 
Anyway, it was a bit of an isolating time, but I still had two friends who were still around. So we'd spend more and more time together socializing, we'd go out for a meal, maybe go to a local bar together. The problem was for me, going out was not a stumbling block. I'd have a meal, I'd have one drink, I wouldn't get drunk. I had a great time with my friends. But for them, play, going to places like a bar was a stumbling block. I would head home and be oblivious to the fact that they were still remained there drinking well into the night. I probably knew that this was a risk in the back of my mind, but I was just caught up with what was going on for myself. Friends, because our spiritual lives affects other people, we're always in danger of putting stumbling blocks up for them. And Paul actually further explains what Jesus is talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says in some situations, we have to put aside what we think is okay, what's on our conscience, our own authentic self, in order to love other people and remove stumbling blocks for them. See, in community, are we either helping people to worship or helping them to sin? Jesus says in verses 8 and 9, If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Again, Jesus is describing some shocking images. Now the decapitation of body parts, gouging out eyes to shockingly point to our sin that can trip us and other people up. To be clear, Jesus is again being metaphorical here. Jesus certainly is not advocating any form of violence or self-harm or mutilation of of ourselves or anyone else, but his point is, kill our stumbling blocks or they will kill us. Jesus warns us to identify and kill off those things in our lives that causes us and other people to stumble. While he acknowledges such things must come, he acknowledges we live in a fallen world where there always will be stumbling blocks. He makes it abundantly clear that we have responsibility of how we live and how we impact other people. Jesus warns of God's coming severe judgment that will be unleashed on those who keep on putting up stumbling blocks. He's saying it's better to be drowned than cause a little one to stumble. In verse 7, but woe to the person through whom they come. In verses 8 and 9, as I just read, he takes it to a whole new level where he says if we don't identify and kill off these stumbling blocks in our lives in eternity, these things will kill us. Jesus describes eternal fire and hell. Jesus' warning here of God's coming judgment is really confronting. See, we all sin. We have all likely to cause other people to sin at some time. But particularly if we keep on doing this deliberately without repentance, being completely indifferent to the impacts on other people, we should heed this warning. 
These stumbling blocks will certainly be identified and destroyed, but the question is when? And Jesus is lovingly and graciously giving us a chance now to take the painful step and to remove these sins from our lives while we still can. So what are these adult things that we consider authentic, which are really stumbling blocks? Often we misuse our power through gossip. You know, you know the thing. You're in the lunchroom with your friends. That annoying colleague is off work again. We think gossip's a bit cheeky. We might frame it as us being concerned. But we're really exercising our power in having that information. We might be giving revenge for a past offence. James chapter 3 describes the tongue sparking this uncontrollable blaze that devastates. See, when we gossip, we impact four parties. We harm the person that we gossip about. We destroy their character. We harm the person that we are gossiping to. We cause them to sin. We harm ourselves spiritually. And importantly, we harm our own relationship with God. Jesus says, cut it off, throw it away. Or as Wayhan shared last week, finding our security in the Australian dream, whether in our careers or in owning that perfect home, maybe seeking approval from other people in our lives. And look, we're fine until these idols of our hearts come under threat. Whether, and so we get angry or we get despairing, whether it's through rising interest rates or problems at work. And Jesus says, cut it off, throw it away. Think about how much we're on our phones. I was at a restaurant the other day and a couple were sitting there both on their phones. We are literally on our phones all of the time. Wherever we are, we can get this instant fix of pleasure as we binge that game or social media or that next TV show. And it can even lead to things like pornography and gambling and other addictions. Jesus says, cut it off, throw it away, put it down. See, he confronts us here describing the decapitation of body parts, gouging out eyes. See, if something is a stumbling block, Jesus is not saying everything in moderation is okay, like a well-balanced diet. No, he doesn't allow us to manage it as a sometimes thing to reward ourselves or for self-care because we've had a hard time. No, he says, cut it off. See, stumbling blocks need to be completely removed, killed like weeds. At my old home, I remember we had some bricks and I'd remove some of the weeds, but I didn't remove them properly and some of the root remained and they'll pop back up within a couple of days. Weeds need to be removed from the root. Weed killer then needs to be sprayed. It's wise, wise for us to identify times when we're more vulnerable to these stomach blocks. Maybe when we're tired or stressed, or maybe when we're on our own for too long or around certain friends and we talk too much. Sometimes we need to completely remove ourselves from some environments to move, remove these stomach blocks. See, a passage like this, it's easy to reduce Jesus' teaching to one big moral list of do's or don'ts in order to be saved. Friends, we come to Jesus like 
child. We bring nothing to the table. He calls us to come in complete dependence and trust. And the reality is that most stumbling blocks in our lives will be too hard for us to cut off on our own. We need God's power and his grace to do so. So not looking within for inspiration. Only in the gospel, looking up to Jesus, we can find our authentic self. The one who has dealt with our sin that trips us and other people up. See, we've all put up stomach blocks. We've even caused vulnerable people to trip up. And instead of depending on God, we've been self-reliant and dependent on our charm and our wisdom and our intellect. And for this, we deserve God's judgment. But as it says in verse 14 after our passage, our Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God is so good and gracious to us. And see, Jesus is the only truly authentic, sinless human that has ever lived on this earth. The one that did not live for his own greatness, but willingly sacrificed himself and took God's judgment in our place. Not a quick death in the sea, but a long, torturous death on the cross. With nails in his hands and feet, he took on hell for us. Yet he rose again and defeated the power of all our stumbling blocks. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. And he invites us to live new lives of kingdom greatness with him, where we depend on him and where we serve and love other people. Friends, I'm now going to invite you to respond to God's word here. So whether, wherever you are, at home, on the couch, I invite you to close your eyes and respond to him. Not looking within, I encourage you to look to Jesus. And I want you to think what one stumbling block that has been harming you and others is the Holy Spirit convicting you to cut off today. I invite you to give this to him. Now pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to put this to death. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.